Welcome, everyone. Good to see you this weekend. Um, hey, before we get into our conversation today, I just want to reiterate uh, about 101. 101 is a really, really big deal. And if you've never been to 101 before, uh, if you're newer to Grace Church, even if you've been around for a while, if you've never done 101, really, really encourage you to do that. You, you will come out of 101 feeling like you can navigate through Grace Church. Uh, you will feel like you kind of know where we came from, where we're headed, and it will kind of put all, connect all the dots for you. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. Uh, today, we meet in this room here on Jet Road. Um, uh, starting at 2, we'll go to about 5.30-ish or so. The time will actually move very quick. You'll be surprised. If you have little kids, uh, bring them. We'll, we'll take care of them, watch them for you, and we'll get uh, dinner for everybody. But uh, try to carve that out of your schedule and uh, be a part of it if you haven't done that before, okay? Love to see you. I, I teach it, so you and I, you and me, we get to hang out all afternoon. It's a party, and it'll be fun. You'll like it. Uh, we're in a conversation right now called Imitation Brand, and what we're doing with this conversation is we're looking, kind of comparing and contrasting two alternative pathways in life. One is the one that we've been raised with, our culture, our family, others have told us, like, this is, this is the path to happiness, right? If you do these things, accomplish these things, get these things, buy these things, you will wind up with happiness, and that's a pathway that we can take. We've been raised in that pathway. You can, there's a bunch of blanks you can fill in, but that's a, that's a direction you can go in life. There's another direction. The Bible says that there's another direction we can go, and it's kind of God's way. It's defined through the Bible. It's led by the Holy Spirit. It's an alternative pathway that we can lock into. Some of these different options are benign. They're not super big deals. And then some of them press down into the depths of our soul and are the difference between satisfying and, and fulfilling our souls and eternal life or not. And the Bible kind of jumps in there and gives a warning and said, that's where it gets kind of really important because there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it leads to spiritual death, the Bible says. There's another way that leads to life and life to the fullest, the Bible says. One is kind of our natural pathway or human pathway. The other is God's pathway. And so we're looking at these two things, especially at this one, and saying, okay, why are we on it? How do we get on it? And does it line up with God's? The Bible says basically that there's two ways that you wind up on this path that can ultimately lead you away from the heart and mind of God. Uh, the first way the Bible talks a lot about is, is just straight up rebellion. Like I know what God says, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, just forget it, I'm going for what I want to go for, right? And some of us do that, some of us do that in different aspects of our life. And certainly that's true of us in our humanity. We rebel against God and, and do what we want. The other way that we wind up on this path that kind of leads away from the heart and the mind of God is, is through what the Bible calls ignorance, ignorance. Now in our culture, the word ignorant, if I called you ignorant, it's a very harsh thing to, to say to you. But the Bible doesn't use that word in a harsh way. When the Bible talks about ignorance, what it's saying is, you're just unlearned, you're unschooled, nobody ever said anything. And I'm kind of personally convinced right now in our culture that most of us, if, and many of us, are on this path kind of away from the heart of God out of ignorance. No one ever said anything different. No one ever told us there was an alternative. 
No one ever compared what we're doing to what God says. And it's almost a little shocking to find out like, oh, I thought that was normal. You're saying it's not. God wants me to do something different. Now I can adjust. And so we're just looking at those things and saying if we're on this path, just because we didn't know not to be on this path, once we find out about God's path, could we pivot and shift and move toward the heart of God instead of away from the heart of God? And if we did that, would we gain the life that we actually long for? Would our souls be satisfied? So we've been talking about that here for the last uh, couple of weeks. And if you missed some conversations, you can go online if you want, uh, graceohio.org, and you can watch them or listen to them there. Get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want and um, catch up with it a little bit. But I want to uh, continue this conversation today and press a little deeper into it. Uh, there's a guy named Timothy Keller, and he is a great author. I, I recommend anything he writes. He wrote a great book called Counterfeit Gods. In fact, we have some copies in the bookstores uh, if, you, if you want to pick it up or get it online if you want. But in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he says this. He says, the Bible uses three metaphors to describe how people interact with the idols of their hearts, things that they love more than God. And he said, this is the way that we interact with the idols of our hearts, the things that replace God in our hearts. They love their idols, they trust idols, and they obey idols. There are things that we place in our hearts or we allow to come into our hearts, whether through rebellion or ignorance, and when we love those things, trust those things, and obey those things more than Christ, they become an idol, a false god in our heart. And oftentimes when we're on this path that leads away from God, that's what we start to do. We begin to trust, love, and obey the things that are on this path or lead to this path more than the things of God. And oftentimes without really realizing it, we kind of dethrone God, so to say, and enthrone these things in our hearts. And these are the things that begin to define us and to direct us. And so we're looking at those and exposing those and kind of asking what are the primary ones of those that show up in our, in our culture. And this weekend, I want to take us to um, another one of these imitation brands or idols or things that would take the place of God in our life. And it's this. We want to think through together the imitation brand of being defined by our upbringing. As I trust my upbringing more than the Word of God, as I lean into my upbringing more than the Word of God, as I default to my upbringing more than the Word of God, that my upbringing can become an idol in my life. Okay, so let's dig at this a little bit. We've all said things like this, right? I have, I say it all the time. Um, it's just the way I am, right? It's just, I am who I am, honey. I am who I am, right? Uh, my mom always said, my dad always said, right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm only human. There's songs about it. I'm only human, right? So you can sing that song if you want. Um, you know, you, I can't help it. I, it's just the way I react to things, right? We oftentimes will, without thinking about it, we'll defer to our upbringing as a way to excuse the, the, our actions, our attitudes, or our thoughts, and it's kind of our default. We'll just say, well, I, I would be different, but I was, that's just who I am. In other words, what we're saying, I would be different, but I was brought up this way, and that's like wired into me, so I can't actually behave or think or love in a different way than I do. You, I just am who I am. Now, when I think about our upbringing, I was just 
kind of processing this through, there, there are very few things in our life that wind up driving us and defining us more than the way that we were brought up. And when you start thinking about your upbringing, there's, there's a few elements that deeply affect all of our upbringings that wind up kind of making us into who we are. And I just put a few of these down so that we could talk it through. So for instance, one of the main elements in our upbringing is our national culture, right? Our national culture. So all of us are raised in a national culture, and that winds up being a part of defining who we are. So if you were raised in North America, you have a different perspective and mindset about what's good, bad, normal, unnormal than if you were raised in East Africa, or if you were raised in Europe, or if you were raised in South America, right? Our national culture gets into us. And a lot of this is benign, some of it's not, but it's a big part of how we define who we are and what we do. So for instance, I was raised in North America, right? I am about as North American as you can possibly get. And one of the things that's true in North America, except here at Grace Church, is we tend to be on time for things, right? And I am talking to all of you that I greeted at 9.05 walking in from the parking lot. And so we tend to be on time for things. I am very much a punctual person because I'm a North America and North American, and that's what's right, that's what's good, that's what's godly, and that's what's polite, right? That's how you function. Now, if you've never met my wife Heidi, uh, first of all, you're missing out on one of the greatest experiences of your life to hang out with Heidi a little bit, but she is Brazilian, and in Brazil, the whole concept of time and structure is kind of like, meh, you know, kind of how it works, right? The, the risk watch market is very depressed in Brazil, right? <laughs> Nobody really needs it for anything. So I remember after we were first married, maybe a year or two, we went down to Brazil to visit her family and to hang out, and we were gonna go to a church that her mom and dad started. And in my mind, uh, the last thing I do at the end of the day is build my plan and strategy for the next day. Amen? How, anyone? Okay. So it was Saturday night, church is Sunday morning, and so I was getting ready to go to bed, so I looked at Heidi, and I said, what's our plan for tomorrow? And she's like, hey, we're in Brazil. There's no planning. I was like, well, give me something. I said, what time does church start? She goes, 10 o'clock. I said, great. I'm going to get up at 8.30. I'm going to grab a shower. I'm going to be ready by 9.15. It's approximately a 23.7-minute drive over to the church, and we're gonna, we'll be in good shape, right? So I get up in the morning. I do all these things. It's time to go. I look to Heidi, and I say, are you going to church? She goes, Yeah. I'm like, well, you haven't, you haven't got a shower yet. You haven't ate breakfast. Nothing's happening here. We need to be there. We're going to be late. She goes, it starts at 10. I was like, I know. That's, it, it's 22.7 minutes from now. We have to be there. She goes, honey. She goes, we're in Brazil. She goes, it starts at 10. That means nobody's going to be there till at least 10.30. And really, service isn't going to start till 10.45, <laughs> Right? I said, that makes no sense. That's wrong. That's not even biblical, right? <laughs> She's like, that's the, everybody knows that. I said, if everybody knows that, why don't you just start the service at 10.30 then? She goes, because then nobody would show up till 11, <laughs> right? It's just culture. So we, we're affected by this. It's not right, wrong. It's not a big deal. It's just a big part of who we are. That's why Mo Heidi has the nickname Pokemon. She's always late to everything, right? Because it's, it's her culture. It's the way she was raised. It's the way that she thinks, the way she responds. Our national culture affects us all. 
Another thing that is a big element in our upbringing is our home environment. So the environment of the home we were raised in, right? So if your parents were good parents, it affects you. If they were bad parents, it affects you. If they had a good marriage, it affects you. If they had a bad marriage or no marriage, it affects you, right? If your older brother was like the greatest thing that ever happened and nobody noticed you because you're like child number three, right? It affects you. All those things affect us in big ways and the health of your home environment will affect you literally for the rest of your life. Your relationship with your parents or lack thereof will literally affect you for the rest of your life. You will process that for the whole of your life. And it's a major element that affects our upbringing. Another thing that affects it is our, our, the human instincts we were taught to feed. The human instincts that we were taught to feed. So we all have human instincts. And some of us were raised in homes where you're taught to feed certain human instincts. And some of us were raised in homes where you're taught to discipline certain human instincts, right? So one of, the, one of our human instincts is to be narcissistic, to be self-centered. That's a, it's a very human instinct. To, I think of myself more than I think of anyone else. And some of us were taught to feed that, right? And so you were raised and your mommy thought you were the greatest thing that ever happened on planet Earth. And she let you know that. And she just told you how special you were and how you were the amazing and you were incredible. And honey, the reason that you got that C minus is because your teacher can't teach anything. And sweetheart, the reason you don't start on the football team because your football coach is just clueless. And the reason that, that your friend didn't invite you to that party is because they just don't understand how much fun you are. And you are amazing and you are special. And you are mommy's little boy, mommy's little girl. You were taught to feed your narcissism, right? And by the way, that's an amazing gift to whoever you marry. They're going to enjoy that the rest of their life, right? <laughs> but we're taught to, to feed those things. Now, you can be taught the other way. You can be taught to discipline that. You're not the center of the world. The planet doesn't revolve around you. This is more of my upbringing, right? And, right? So um, sex is a huge one. It's a huge one in our culture. It's a human instinct. And we were raised in homes where we were taught to, to interact with the human instinct of sex. We were taught to, uh, to feed that human instinct. Some of us men were taught that you're not a man until you lose your virginity. How old are you now, 14? Right, we're taught that. We watched our dads feed that drive. The, the magazines that they brought into the house, the movies that we were allowed to watch, the pornography we were exposed to. And that, that, that wasn't just all from our friends. That was from uh, an environment that we were taught. Yeah, you, you need to just go for that, indulge that, feed that. Others of us were raised on the other extreme where we were raised in a place where we were never taught about sex. We're not even sure how we were conceived, right? It was like, how did that even happen? Because it was like this dirty word. And we were taught to feed or to deny that instinct, and it affects us, right? Uh, there's other instincts, like uh, uh, impulses. Some of us were taught to engage certain impulses or di discipline. Uh, I was raised in a home in which um, if I had the impulse to eat something, I was told to do it. Man, I'd really like a Big Mac. Oh, honey, if you want a Big Mac, go get a Big Mac. I must have heard that a thousand times. Man, I'd like to have a pizza. Honey, sweetheart, if you want a pizza, go get a pizza. I like to, yeah, Twinkies. Oh, honey, if you want a Twinkie, have four, right? I like some butter and some lard. Here's a can of Crisco, baby, you know? 
right? We, we were taught, we were, never was I taught like, you know, maybe you should get the salad. You know, never. I was always taught like, just fry it a little bit longer, okay? So that affects me. Now, what, now how I think and how I interact with food, it literally affects me because of the human instincts I was taught to feed or discipline. And then the last thing I, I think affects us a ton is our pain, our pain. And the pain that we experience through life is a major element of how we're affected in life, right? So some of us were abused. Some of us were sexually abused. That's going to affect us, it's gonna mark us through our life. Uh, some of us were abandoned uh, throughout our, our lifetime. In fact, uh, most counselors I talk to say that's the deepest wound you can have. I don't, even know who, I don't even know where my dad is. I don't even know who my dad is. My mom checked out, I've seen her for years, right? It, it marks us, it affects us, it becomes a part of who we are. Our resentments, our fears, all those things that equal our, our pain, okay? Now, there's obviously a ton more and there's obviously very specific nuances to everything I talked about, but you get, you're getting the, the picture. All these things, these environments, these cultures, these impulses, our pain, they all wind up making us who we are, right? And we kind of breathe those things in and it winds up forming us and we say, well, well this is who I am and you can take all that and, and you tie that up to your upbringing, right? I, I would like to be different, but I, I, I was raised this way. Uh, my dad had a temper, I have a temper, right? I, I would like to... I would like to think differently about these things, but you know, I just can't because this happened to me and it marked my thinking and, and I can't think differently, okay? Um, I, I would like to, to function in a different way, but you need to quit judging me because if you've been through what I've been through, then you would understand why I have to conduct my life in this way. And we'll do that, we'll lean back, see, we'll lean back into our upbringing and that will become our defense mechanism. That will become our excuse. That will become our default. And those are the things that often drive huge elements of our life and things in which we would say that we trust them. In fact, they, they drive us so much that those are the things that we learn to love, trust, and obey. When in doubt, I'm gonna go back to what I know when in doubt, I'm gonna go back to how I was raised. When in doubt, I'm gonna lean in to the culture, the family that I was raised in because I was taught to love, trust, and obey the way that I was raised and what I understand and know. Now, here's where it starts to become an issue. When I love, trust, and obey my upbringing, I engage on a path that can lead me further away from the heart and mind of Christ. If I, the healthy parts of my upbringing may take me closer to the heart and mind of Christ, but the unhealthy parts of my upbringing will take me further from the heart and the mind of Christ because I learned to love, trust, and obey it. And here's the deal. When I love, trust, and obey one path, by nature, I am not loving, not trusting, not obeying another. See, every yes is a no. So when I, I you, you know, man, when I, want to, when I want to relax and chill, my idea of a good time, what my dad taught me, my friends taught me, the way I lived in college, I'm just going to go get trash and have fun because you know it's Tuesday. 
That yes is a no to whatever God may have said about my morality or alcohol or whatever. I'm gonna succeed, succeed, succeed because everybody in my family succeeds, 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 and I don't wanna be, that yes is a no to how God may have called us to invest our life differently or his definitions of success. So when I love, trust, and obey this to the point that my upbringing is defining and driving me, by nature, I'm not loving, trusting, and obeying what Christ would have said and what he would have wanted for my life. And that's where the two collide. That's where the two collide, okay? So what do you do about that? And how do you weigh it? How do you gauge it? And what... Is this just like a cycle I'm not able to break because this is who I am, it's how my life functions, I don't know what to do, right? How many times has my wife asked me to not respond to her this way and it's just the way that our family talked to each other when we grew up? How many times have my kids said, mom, can you interact with me this way? And it's just the way it was, the way I was raised, so it's, right? So how do you break these things out? The Bible says some very fascinating things things about all this. It's two passages. They'll come up on the screen that I want you to look at real quick, and then we'll dig deeper into a third one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what so what the Bible says, when I, when I break out of my humanity and I become a follower of Jesus, I accept Christ as my savior, I ask and receive the forgiveness of my sin, right, I become a follower of Christ. The Bible says that the old me is destroyed, broken or put to death is the, the way that the Bible would say it. The old me is gone, there's a new element that fills my life. The things that once drove, once defined, once directed me are gone, and I'm a new creation. A new thing has come to fill, drive, and direct my life. So much so that my citizenship actually shifts. Where once I was loyal, once I was bought in, once I was defined by the culture of the earth, I am, my citizenship shifts and now I am loyal and defined and driven by the culture of heaven. My loyalties change, my thinking changes, my passion changes. All of that is done in me. And as that is done in me then, I am able to engage what God is doing. I don't do it all, but I, I participate, so to say, with God. I mean, I'm able to engage what he's doing as he empowers it and alters me. So all of a sudden, it's weird. I don't have to be driven by the things that happened to me in my past. I don't have to be defined by my upbringing. There's a new definition that comes into my life, a new ownership, a new direction that comes into my life, and I can connect to it. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. Look there with me. We'll dig at this. Colossians chapter 3. It's page 822 in the Bibles there in your chairs. And if you use an electronic device, we use the U version app, Y-O-U version. 
can open that up, hit live event, we're Grace Church. So this new thing fills me. The old is gone. The old thing that I love, trusted, obeyed can be put behind me as I love, trust, and obey Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying here in Colossians 3, he's saying engage, so to say, what God has done. Engage this new creation. Engage the willingness and the ability and the power to change. Verse 1, chapter 3, Colossians. So then you have been raised with Christ. It's the idea, I, I was put to death. The old me is put to death. The new me is resurrected in Christ. So set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I get to engage this process. I, I've been reborn, made new, new creation. So instead of just being locked into my upbringing and defined by the way I was raised and the things that happened to me, through the power of God and his Holy Spirit within me, I can be a part of shifting or pivoting my thoughts and my passions. I set my heart on things above. I set my mind on things above, not on earthly things, not on just the circumstances that affected my life. See, before or outside of being a Christian, circumstances define me. I'm like enslaved to it, my upbringing. Now I have this new power that allows me to work with God so that Christ defines my circumstances. And as I put my heart and my mind on things above, in other words, as I shift the things that I love, trust, and obey. See, an idol is whatever I love, trust, and obey. I'm controlled by these circumstances. I'm a product of my environment. We've heard that since like, you started studying sociology in the eighth grade, right? The Bible says you're, you're actually not a product of your environment if you're a Christian. You're a product of the work of the Holy Spirit within you. So I shift my heart, my mind. I love, trust, and I, I obey Christ and what he is doing and how he has loved me and how he has changed me and how he's transforming me. And as I kind of with my own will also participate with that, my heart, my mind, my affections, my passions, my love moves and I engage Christ's transforming power. So much so, look at this, verse three, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is in you, uh, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I die, you see here in a minute, I put myself to death, this old control mechanism of my environment, my upbringing. I put it to death, I choose to work against it. I'm engaging what Christ, and Christ becomes my life. Now instead of being defined by my culture, my environment, my pain, and my instincts, the Holy Spirit's at work with me, and now all of a sudden love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control become the markers of my life, and I set my heart and my mind on Christ, and I invite that into my life more and more. I empty this, and I engage this, right? Now, I wanted to try to put some skin on this a little bit for you, so 
Let me, let me try to like give you something to see this with, all right? Let's say this is you and me, right? This is what we boil down to, a balloon, all right? This is what we do. <clears throat> we tend to inhale our environment, right? I'm an American, right? And so I think as a North American, what seems right, good, and natural to me is that my North American-ism, and I'm gonna inhale it and fill my life with it. That I was raised in a home, and my mama did this, and my dad did this, and this was what my home was like, right? And so I'm gonna inhale that, I'm gonna fill my life with my home environment. Okay? That I have my human instinct, and I was taught to feed this one and discipline this one, and I was just taught to kind of interact with my humanity in a certain way. I'm gonna inhale what I know, and I'm gonna fill my life with it. And then I have my pain. And this happened, and that didn't happen, and that person did that, and that person didn't do that. And so I'm gonna take that, and I'm gonna inhale it, and I'm gonna fill my life with it. then I'm gonna pass out, okay. And I would look and say, this is me, see? I am, a, and th this is me. I'm good looking even as a balloon, <laughs> which is shocking, really, but, all right? So I would say, well, this is me. It, it's my upbringing. It, I am, it's my family name. It's a, whatever, you get it, right? Whatever you wanna put into it. I took that in, I blew it up, and this is my life. This is what I've been given. Okay. Now, the problem is, when I go to soar, if I, if I let go of this balloon, it's going to sputter around, it's going to fall to the ground, it's going to be done. And that tends to be what happens with our lives. So what we do is we double down on our upbringing, right? So my, my dad, when he was mad at me, he yelled at me, and my dad actually did this. He would yell at me, right? And I, he would get me to respond to him. So when I'm mad at my kids, I yell at them to get them to respond to me. But when they don't, I inhale my upbringing more, and I yell louder. When... when when I want Heidi to act a certain way, and she doesn't, I push harder for her to act that way. See how that works? And what the Bible says is this is going to take you nowhere, okay? Because as I double down on my humanity, I'm going to move further and further and further away from Christ. Because my actions are gonna be less and less and less Christ-like. And I'm not going to get the results that I want. I want a close relationship with my children, but I keep screaming at them. I, I want a, a deep friendship, but I just, keep, I just go out drinking with my friends. We never talk about anything. Or if we do, we don't remember it. I want love and a meaningful relationship, but I just keep sleeping with people. So I'm going to do that more looking for love. Okay? So the Bible says... You are to die. You, you let, let this out of you. This needs to go away. Because you're not going to satisfy your soul. 
you're gonna move further and further from the path of life and go further and further of the way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And what I need is I need another source of power to come and fill my life so that I'm not filling my life with the circumstances of my life, I'm filling my life with something supernatural that defines my circumstances instead of my circumstances defining me. So if you take the air away and we put something foreign in, something that we can't just create in ourselves, right? We get a different outcome. I'm gonna bring a different element into my life, fill my life with that, and that element is gonna cause my life to play differently than it did before. I'm gonna get a different thing because it's not me using my circumstances to build my life. Now it's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the helium, it's a foreign element coming in and that element is defining my circumstances. Well, I still have a bad childhood, right. But Christ in you defines that childhood differently. Well, I'm still a North American, right but Christ in you defines the good and the bad of the cultures that we were raised in. Well, I'm still a human being, right, but Christ in you defines that human instinct for us. Well, I still went through what I went through, right, but Christ in you allows you to redeem that pain, not be crushed by it. I can huff and puff into my life as much as I want. In fact, that's what Oprah and Dr. Phil and Tony Robbins, everybody will tell you. They'll say, look into yourself, find more of yourself and solve. But I'm inhaling the same upbringing. I'm inhaling the same air. I'm going to get the same result. Christ would say something completely different. He would say, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Let me fill your life. Engage and re receive what I am giving to you. And you, you put that other, that supernatural element in, the one that you cannot create on your own, and your life will play very, very differently, right? And you love, trust, and obey me, right? Love, trust, and obey what I say. In fact, feed that. Don't feed your upbringing. And that's what Paul says as he goes on. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I'm gonna feed Christ like this. I'm gonna put to death. I'm gonna walk away from these things over here that have been defining me. Put to death, therefore, your earthly nature. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, right? These things that displace Jesus from ruling my life because I love it, I trust it, obey it, I just go back to it because it's what I was taught, what I know, what I was told was normal. Verse seven, chapter three, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. The, of course, this is all we ever knew, but that's not who I am anymore. In Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, my citizenship has shifted. I am something different. There's a different element that fills my life. Go on, verse eight. But now 
You must also rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, things that come from your culture, your home. Verse six, things that are your human impulses, all the things that cause you pain. Verse nine, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. I didn't know. (laughs) I was just raised this way, right? Put it off. I don't even know how. How do you swap it out? With the knowledge of God. God is now defining me and directing me through his word. The scriptures lead me to the heart and the mind of God. God is teaching me a different path. He's showing me. And as I discover it here, I rid myself of it here. As the word of God shows me and is empowered by the Holy Spirit, right, who's filling me, I put these things to death. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, Dad always said, if a guy hits you, hit him back. I never heard of this love your enemy thing. Mom said... She said, if her sister was going to act that way, then her sister wasn't allowed to come to Christmas anymore. I never even heard of forgive as you've been forgiven. Everybody always told me, you got to get into school, you got to get a good job, you got to climb the ladder, you got to make the Benjamins. That's what you got to do. The further to the right the decimal point moves, the happier you're going to be. Nobody ever even mentioned that real joy of fulfillment is found in giving my life away. I never even heard that before. I was taught to feed my narcissism. See how it works? This is being put to death. This is being filled with the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God takes me to the heart of God and that's where life, eternal life and life to the fullest is found. And it's this shift, it's this move, it's something different that drives and defines me. Guys, I think this whole conversation ends with very, very good news. (laughs) And the good news is we can actually change I believe that almost everyone, certainly probably everyone who would get up and come to church, right? Almost everyone would believe that God can improve our lives, right? We would agree with that, right? God can improve your lives. And I would say to you that God improving your life is actually an imitation brand because God doesn't promise to improve your life most of us would actually struggle to believe that God can change my life. God doesn't look at us and say, hey, you want to you knock 25% off your temper? I can help you with that. God would look at us and say, you want to rid your life of anger? Where your anger and resentment that was built up from your home environment is now driving your present home? You want that to change? That's what I do. I'm a new creation. God doesn't look and say, hey, uh, you want to be a little less greedy? You know what I'm saying? 
little change in the kettle Christmas time? God would say, no, you wanna live a selfless life where money and material things don't drive you and don't divide you from the people that you love? Where, where the amount of your wealth is irrelevant because the passion of your heart is to love me and love people? So it really doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or middle class. We, we all would agree that God can improve our lives, but we would all struggle to say, God, can you actually make me something new? And Christ would look and say, actually, that's exactly the business I'm in. I will renew your mind, I'll swap it out. I will transform your heart. You are a new creation. And instead of being defined by your circumstances, what if you invite me in? And through my power and the power of the Holy Spirit, what if I start to define your circumstances and it moves you in a different direction? It moves you in the direction of actually living the life you dream of living. All right. Now what I wanna do is I wanna, every week in these things, because these are like, I know these are big conversations. They're hard to talk about at Rockneys later on, right? So they're big conversations. So I wanna give you the, like a way to process this, okay? So there, if this way doesn't work for you, that's cool, but it's just a way that you can process it a little bit, okay? So I want you to be able to look, at, look to God and say, God, give me wisdom and discernment. Like there are lots of download. Help me to get my hands around it. So here's some things that you can do if you want to process this conversation and to turn it into something practical, okay? Four things, four ingredients to get what you want the most out of life, okay? So here's four things to do. Number one, identify places in your life where your upbringing is harming your present reality. Literally, get out a piece of paper, your iPad, right, whatever, and, and start thinking about, you know what? When, when my husband talks to me this way, I yell at him like he's my dad, right? Because I was hurt back here, that's why I'm never close to my best friend. Like every time we're about ready to have a deep conversation, we don't, right? So, so push back a little bit and say, wait a minute, this, this upbringing I thought was so normal, it actually wasn't that healthy at all. So look at places in your life where your upbringing is harming your present reality. Number two, identify places where you are being dismissive of Christ-likeness because you were just raised this way, right? I'm dismissive of Christ-likeness because I was just raised this way. I was taught to look at women this way. I was taught to respond to people this way. I, I was, you know, I, I would behave differently, but I just... I just can't. Now, wait a minute. You just bought an imitation brand because you just said God can improve me, but he can't change me. And Jesus would say, I didn't die and raise again to help you be a little bit better. I had kind of bigger goals in mind. Okay? So just think about it. Write it down. Process it. Think about it over lunch this week, right? Areas in my life where I'm dismissive of Christ-likeness because I was raised that way. Third, identify places in life where you have placed your hope in earthly systems and solutions. Okay? I'm pretty sure I'm going to be happy if I can make six figures. Right? I'm pretty sure I'm going to be happy if we can finally get into that house. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be happy 
if I could go out with this girl. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be safe and secure and life is going to be good if the election just goes the way I think it should go. If we can just get the Republicans elected or keep the Democrats elected, right? Either one, by the way, I'm good with either one. Yeah, you can never figure that out. Drives you nuts, doesn't it? What does Jeff think? I'm not telling, right? So, right? But where we would look and say, what I'm obsessing about are actually earthly solutions and ideas. Last thing, identify places where you might let cultural norms trump biblical truth. Cultural norms trump biblical truth. Right? You know why most people don't tithe? Because they believe their money is their own cultural norm, just trumped the biblical truth, right? You know why most people accept this, the sexual moral standards that they accept? Because they're everywhere in the culture. And a cult, now all of a sudden, biblical truth sounds archaic, right? Do you, you know why most people can justify their attitude toward their boss? Because he's an idiot? <laughs> But the Bible says to love and respect those in authority over you. Well, he's an idiot. Okay? So just those kind of things in your life. Look and say, whoa, this is not Christ. This is the way I was raised. I'm going to die to that. Right? And the knowledge of God is going to be what drives me and defines me. Okay? I'm going to pray, and as I pray, the band's going to slip out, and they're going to take us into a little bit of time. And guys, I encourage you to be still, to start working on this stuff a little bit. We're so bad at sitting still. So I encourage you to do that. Take a few moments with God, and let him have some free reign in your heart and your mind in this conversation, okay? Jesus, thank you for helping us in all of this. It's your sacrifice and your love that even makes change possible. If, if you had not given yourself, we would have no salvation to reach for, no truth to reach for. So thank you for that. Help us to do that very thing, to invite, to receive, to long for you. Holy Spirit, to long for what you can and will do in our hearts. God, help us to position ourselves in that place of humility, in that place of openness to you. God, change us. Because, Lord, ultimately, who you want us to be is actually who we really want to be. And so, God, give us the desires of your heart in our lives. And let us pursue and love and respond to you accordingly. We do love you, Jesus. Press this deep into us even now. In your name we pray, amen.